Hi, I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. Voices is the most stimulating gathering of fashion industry leaders on the planet. What makes Voices different is that we mix our industry with fascinating people from other sectors, from the worlds of economics, activism, health and wellness, medicine, film, philanthropy, technology, media, and so many more. Fashion doesn't live in a bubble, and nor should it. This is one of the sessions from our 2017 gathering. It was earlier this year that I found myself in Los Angeles on the other side of a very long table at dinner when two young guys on the other side of the table called me over to talk to me about the business of fashion. One of these young guys was named Patrick Finnegan and his energy and point of view and ideas They really blew me away, and I thought he would make a really interesting voices talk. Patrick is an entrepreneur who has set up his own venture capital fund. He started his career as an 11-year-old political fundraiser for then-Senator Obama and has grown his activities to include all sorts of things, including investing in some of the highest potential businesses coming out of the United States. So here's Patrick Finnegan on why we should think like a startup. When Imran came to me and asked me to speak, I couldn't really figure out why my story mattered. It was a little puzzling to me, but as I sat and wrote this talk, I was trying to figure out. And I started comparing what I had done and who who had inspired me. And it was in the end, today, where I realized that stories matter. The stories of people alive and dead, famous and obscure, gathered in a room like this years ago, or maybe today, and they all inspired each other. Growing up, I wasn't really, you know, the normal kid. I was tricky. People boxed me in. They said I was crazy. They said I had issues. But I had resilience. Despite all of the beating down and being told that I was all these different labels, I would get back every time. I wanted to be who I was. I embraced who I was. I didn't want to be anything or anyone else. So in fifth grade, I wasn't you know, on the back of the bus with a girlfriend, and I wasn't playing kickball. I was obsessed with architecture. As you can see, here's me in front of a Frank Gehry building. As I learned more about architecture, I became obsessed with him. Someone that had a polarizing reputation, yet brought the most beautiful works of architecture to the world. Bilbao, Spain, a small city in the northern port of Spain, now being one of the biggest wonders of the world because of his work. I admired someone that was able to take his work from delusional imagination to reality. I felt less alone. He stayed true to himself. He was who he was, despite the critics and adversity. It resonated with me. It was the exact thing I needed in that moment in time. I felt less alone. So, school, it got worse. DSM-4 became my best friend, which stands for Diagnostic Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. Bipolar, Asperger's, ADHD, every label was thrown at me. My self-esteem got lower and lower. But again, I needed that person inside to inspire me, that story. And I started finding that. I remember watching John Lewis, a famous congressman for what he's done in civil rights, speak on TV about a man we all know as former President Barack Obama. I was 12 years old. I live in a small college town, very liberal. I told my parents, I'm getting involved. They didn't really understand. I was struggling, but I did it. 
I went from door to door, I made phone calls, I raised close to $5,000. But it didn't stop there. I started, my parents started getting calls. It was Key, New Hampshire, the headquarters. They wanted me to go. They wanted me to get involved. They had heard what I was doing, and they were interested. Weekend after weekend, we drove up to Keene. And then it became a long journey. And it also became a huge lesson, again, of why stories matter. Obama, John Lewis, they had inspired me, despite being bullied and having a low self-esteem, to get out of my own shell and become a part of a movement that was greater than myself. It ended up leading me to be invited to the inauguration, meet then-Senator Obama, then-Senator Biden, and celebrate such an amazing win. So, as you can see, I was inspired. And, you know, everyone was looking at me crazy, but it didn't matter. I embraced who I was. So, school, this is really, you know, that term rock bottom. Well, the next part, I hit rock bottom. This slide doesn't demonstrate that, though. I was in high school, boarding school. On the surface, everything looked fine. My peers alike thought I was cool, like, as in, I was going to be okay. I went to the health center, and the next day I was at home. I'll never forget. I'm in bed, I've got pills to my right, and I got a knife to my left. Police officers came in that had known me from a young age, the Williamstown Police Department. Another dream of mine was to be a police officer when I was a kid, so I was their intern at 15. Well, now they were handcuffing me to a stretcher and saying, you got to go. That was pretty hard. My self-esteem was low. I didn't know what to do, and I didn't have any friends, and I felt alone. But again, the little engine that could, I had this entrepreneurial spark in me that was like, I want to do something and impact others while I feel bad about myself. So I did just that. I noticed young people around me being in the best schools, they didn't really read the news. They weren't really informed, and their sources of news were pretty poor. It was Facebook or a retweet on Twitter. So I wanted to change that. I came up with World State. And in the end, I got rejected from Y Combinator and Techstars, but I was given some advice. Apply for an accelerator and ask for advice. So I did it. And Portland Incubator Experiment, funded by Wyden Kennedy in Portland, Oregon, accepted me. In the end, it wasn't a massive success but I wouldn't call it a failure either, because the next stop was New York City. And that was the extent of my plan. I had hustle, I had drive, I had my imagination, and I had a decent calling card. I started going everywhere and anywhere and networking and just trying to figure out things. Social impact, social media, venture capital. I found my calling in venture. I liked the art of the deal. I liked getting high net worth individuals that didn't really know where to put their money into deals. It was very informal. I had no degree. I didn't even have a high school diploma. But I convinced some people. One deal I found was Lyft, that many of you know and was just on the screen before. Another deal was a content commerce company called Wine Awesomeness. So soon, it became formal. I was the youngest VC on the East Coast, and I had a lot of pressure, a lot of scrutiny, and a lot of responsibility. But also, it gave me a window of opportunity, and again, I felt better about myself. I knew that I was doing something right. At the same time, though, I was building relationships with social media, social media superstars. And it wasn't until August of 2016 that I got a phone call from a peer of mine that Cameron Dallas and Jake Paul wanted to start a venture fund with me. They were killing it on YouTube and Instagram, and they had seen what Ashton Kutcher or even Carly Kloss and all these amazing celebrities had done with venture, but they wanted to take it to another level, and they wanted to invest in these companies and continuously push them and add value short-term and long-term. So we started something called TGZ. And TGZ stands for Team Generation Z, obviously, because we were all Gen Z. So 
I learned a lot about thinking like a startup and why it's really important. And you know, whether you're a small company, large company, C-suite executive, it doesn't matter. The way that these startups think, it's applicable to all of us. So the first company that I want to talk about that I learned a lot from was Dirty Lemon. And there's investors in this room that also co-invested with me. Dirty Lemon was a company that I was fascinated by. With, fascinated by. Zach, the founder, understood the premise of our fund, but he also understood how to win the market. CPG, a cutthroat industry. You know, the budgets were high. Consumer packaged good is ridiculous. You have to spend millions of dollars to get these customers, and who knows if they're going to have any retention. But the thing was, is that Zach was Dirty Lemon, and Dirty Lemon was Zach. It was authentic. It was real. And so I learned from that. Again, whether you're a big brand, a small brand, a person, be who you are. Again, when Frank Gehry at fifth grade inspired me, because I wasn't sure who I was, but I knew underneath it I was okay with who I was. Dirty Lemon's okay with who they are, and they are starting to kill it. They're even in Sohouse in some locations. The next company is a company called No Better Foods. Again, in the consumer package industry, very competitive. They wanted to win the market. How are they going to do this? Well, they were going to do this by creating a mission-driven company that adds value to the consumer and to the people around the consumer. So they care about everyone. They bring something healthy. They bring something that looks good. They bring something that's validated by the right people, and they have a mission-driven statement when it comes to their company. Again, I wasn't sure exactly what I was doing when I was investing in this this round. It was the biggest investors in the valley, and they were giving me a little allocation. But who knew that it would go on to be such a success? And the lesson there, again, thinking like a startup, is being mission-driven. Because in today's landscape, my generation especially, we have no patience for selfishness. You got to be selfless, and you got to care about the others around you. Because people love that. They want to be a part of a brand that cares about their community. The last company that I learned a lot was Winky Lux or Glow Concept. Makeup is one of the most lucrative industries, as you'll learn from Moj, but it's also one of the most competitive and cutthroat. Natalie, the founder, I had met three years prior, and I didn't know what we were going to do together. When she approached me about Winky Lux, I knew she was onto something. Instead of overanalyzing the market, she went in heads first, and she said, "Okay, how am I going to win this? I'm going to eliminate the middleman, and I'm going to go direct to consumer." So, okay. Also, why don't I make it really fast, zero to 45 days? There's only a few players out there, and she's done that, and they're already profitable, and they're killing it. And the lesson was there. The lesson there was again thinking like a startup and saying, okay, instead of putting five decks together in a plan of how we can win this market, let's just go and experiment. Let's figure out how it's going to work after we put in some work. So, my story is different than yours, and your story is different than the person beside you. But we all have stories, and they all matter. Again, being a bullied kid who was literally handcuffed to a stretcher by people that have known him since he was a young kid, I would never imagine that I'd be on this stage. But again, it's all about the people you surround yourself. Invest time or money, regardless, they make your story. I'll leave you guys with a quote. Margaret Atwood said, "In the end, we all become stories. So why don't we start writing the one that we want?" Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Business of Fashion podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and subscribe today. Don't forget to visit businessoffashion.com to learn more about BOF and everything that we do.